you know, when you've been in a profitable bootstrap business over the years, you know, the, the rewards accumulate and it's nice. And you and I have gotten to a level in life that I think a lot of people aspire to get to. And, and that feels great. And you never want to become numb to what the value of a thousand dollars is to someone or $5,000 for Christmas. And so to do that and see their reactions, um, it's, it was powerful. It, it showed you put, we put our money where our mouth is. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Bootstrapping Sass Millions. Mike and Kev here, founders of Spectora. What's up, Kev? We haven't done a podcast in two months. We took a very extended holiday break. I think um, between vacations and you know some of our team members getting sick, we got hit with a few non-COVID illnesses, but just you know, sucked all the same. Um, so we're back. Yeah, we had some momentum, and then uh, we killed it or got killed. But uh, we'll. We'll get back on it. That's the beauty of podcasts is you do them when you feel like doing them. Um, you know, there may be a couple hundred people that, that listen anyway. So we're good. Right on. Well, um, what's the plan for today? Let's talk year in review. Um, since it's our first one of 2022, we haven't talked results from 2021. We, it's always fun. Uh, sometimes we don't do enough retro, you know, autopsy type talking through of the year before. Um, so let's do that. And then let's get into a little of <clears throat> the giant team bonus we gave out at the end of the year and how that felt. Um, and then talking numbers with our leadership team, how we're kind of helping them grow by learning the business. And then, uh, and then finally recent current events, um, thinking about taking investment or selling, which for any bootstrappers listening, probably something that crosses your mind daily, if not weekly, monthly or monthly, if not weekly, daily. I like it. Um, so high level, not even looking at numbers. If someone just asked you what kind of year did you have with your business last year, what do you what's your response? Yeah, so I would tell them it was a roller coaster. Because on on one hand, like <clears throat> wow, we have this amazing team, we've done so many really cool things. And on the other hand, you think, okay, we had like great growth in the first half, and then it the growth really leveled off for the second half and then dramatically dipped in December. So the recency effect of, of December being like, damn, we're, what, what's going on here? What's going to happen, uh, you know, in 2022 has me kind of all over the place when I analyze it. How about you? Uh, yeah, when you, on an absolute level, it's always great because numbers are going up to the right and the growth is happening. But when, we know too much. Like we know it's like, wow, had a record month in March looking at the charts here. And then it was like a kind of like a, 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 you know, six flags ride down from there, just rolling down. So yeah. Ending the year cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, and after December it was like, Oh, we, we, you know, we even stopped on a, an extra hire or two. So it's the most we've had to be cognizant of slower growth than ever. Um, because at a time, really- at a time where like macroeconomics are affecting everyone's businesses, and um, yeah, and we're investing a lot. Yeah, when we were used to adding at least twenty or thirty k of MRR every month, you know, then we start making hiring plans and like, oh yeah, growth that'll always keep going. And uh, when it doesn't, when we have a month of growing what like eight or ten k of MRR, and we're like, oh, we can't just keep banking on constant growth and it really gives pause and makes us question yeah what's going on here 
how much can we use the past year and a half as a, a baseline for predicting the next year and a half? Like, obviously, the world has been turned upside down in the last couple of years. And do we just throw out those stats and not ever use 2020, 2021 as comparisons? Or is that still meaningful? Got to be confusing for everybody, whether you're in e-commerce, travel, SaaS, it's they're upside down. They really are. So good luck trying to find comps. Um, but we still just, you know, we, we didn't quite double, but we just, just shy of that. Right. We, we did like a 40 something percent growth. I want to say it was like 70 something. So we went from Gosh, I don't remember what we did last year, like 4.4 million in top line revenue. And this year we're at 7.8. So, okay. Oh, all right. So that, that was amazing. Right. And like, especially for bootstrap SaaS, this is very, very hard to do. And we should be so proud of it. And yet we're still in the day to day. We're still like dealing with all the random bullshit that comes up every day and trying to just keep on doing the job. And so, um, yeah, you're right. We don't look up every once in a while as, or as often as we should and like celebrate. Wow. We've come a long way. Yeah. 33, about 33 team members, um, potentially adding a few more in Q1. So maybe getting up near 35, 37, um, still great profit margins. So it's like, we're still, we're still watching that, but it causes us to, to think about how much we're sinking into growth. So I think like our growth plans were, we're, we're wanting to hire 10 people in Q1, I think. Right. As, as we came into the year end. And now we've backed up a little on that, which is okay. And I think the, the prudent thing to do. Right. Let's talk role redefinition. I, I don't even remember how much of this we did or talked about in 2021 in terms of what are we, what do we do here? Like what, like day to day, what should we be focused on? What should we block our calendars off for? Talk a little about where you were with that last year and, and where you are now. Yeah. I was very cognizant of this shift um, in this past year because previously there was always this ability for me to just say, Hey, this stuff needs to get done. I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and get dirty writing this code or building out this feature um, or creating issues for the engineers and just like really diving in. And as we've grown, as the engineering team's grown, they're, they're getting all these processes in place. They're kind of, you know, we have a head of engineering and he's implementing all these great cultural shifts. They're doing pair programming. They're doing um, just a ton of like code review. It, it's stuff that I never did or had to do. And that now I feel like if I try and write some code, I'm probably screwing up things left and right. It, you know, it's failing and all these like code cleanliness tests? Am I putting the right spacing in? Am I using the right syntax? And um, and that's different. And, and I feel like I'm almost getting in the way when I try and uh, get in there. I can't even keep my local dev environment up to date to make changes because so much is happening so quickly. And so that's made me have to, you know, not only shift out of that, which was always the plan, but it's harder said than done when that's what you connect to. That's what you did. That's what your identity was but also recognizing that, oh, wow, we're creating this team where so much is um, very important, whether it's like methods of communication, culture, knowledge transmission, onboarding, hiring process. Um, we, we as leaders, our, our role is shifting. In our last leadership meeting, everybody was just like, hey, you need to disseminate more of the business knowledge, how we make big level decisions, because 
you know, does our head of client success know when to prioritize one client right and then over another? And does our head of engineering know when to like stop work on this big feature? Because, hey, one of our biggest clients just wrote in with a very pressing problem. And that's kind of who we are. We're a service company that wants to make sure that our, especially our biggest clients are not, you know, stopped in their tracks. And so how do we, how do we create formalized systems to not only disseminate that knowledge, empower our leaders, but also, um, yeah, just help them get to that level where they're thinking about managing people and all the human dynamics of the people underneath them as their teams start to turn into um, multiple teams, segmented teams, where there might be another layer of leaders getting created. Um, it's, a, it's a tough challenge. Can you talk about that exact, that specific example, just to refresh people that I know it's very relatable to any other business owner of the big, the big company that came in the decision point and like when to, or not to, you know, get three or four people's attention to work on something. Yeah. Yeah. So we're rebuilding like a core tech, right? All the stuff that I originally built five, six years ago, a little outdated time for kind of a ground up rebuild to ensure that we're on, you know, non-deprecated platforms and very stable tech going forward. So that's like the main goal for the whole engineering team, basically. And we have these deadlines that we arbitrarily set of when we want to get stuff out. And there's this importance that, hey, we need to do this during the winter, essentially before March, get it out because our clients, home inspectors start to get super busy come spring when home buying and selling season happens. And so our engineering team's feeling the heat on that front to just keep plowing that, that train ahead. And then like last Friday, I think it was, one of our top 10 companies writes in and they're doing big things. It has to do with like Zillow's sitting on, you know, tens of thousands of homes and they're getting them all inspected. And this, uh, one of our top companies has a contract to do a ton. And some issue comes in with how they're importing all data and it's more data than our systems ever imported at once. And it's, um, just breaking, right? It's breaking. And that kind of, that comes in and our head of engineering, our head of client success aren't sure, should we drop everything right now? Should we say, hey, let's get a meeting on the calendar for next week and uh, then we'll talk about it and then we'll roll out a fix, you know, within a few days. Meanwhile, he's trying to do like a hundred of these a day or whatever it is, several hundred maybe. And um <clears throat> And so what a set of decisions that I think our, our leaders were not, there, there's no playbook. We haven't written the rules of engagement for this. You and I have just kind of known and felt, oh, wow, we, we know we should drop everything to keep these people happy because of our knowledge of, hey, we have a, um, you know, a very chatty industry where reputation goes a long way. We have built our business on like the pillars of, you know, not only tech, but of service of being a service oriented company. And so, but, but each instance, if we have to like debate it, that gets hard. So I, I found myself stepping in. I'm like, Hey, let's book a meeting with him right now. Let's stay late on a Friday. If we have to, we're going to get this fixed up before we head into the weekend. And we made it happen. And by Monday, I think they were, they were happy. And, and, I, and so we reflected on it and said, okay, how do we codify this? How do we create like a decision tree of what to do. Cause if it was like a new brand new guy, solo inspector, and he just couldn't do this one thing that was non-business critical. Of course we don't drop everything. If it was a mid tier company, maybe they were, their operations were halted. Yeah. We'd probably do something. And then this is a hell yeah, we got to drop everything and do it. Um, but, but how do, 
how do we know? How, how do we make sure our leaders know so that we're not getting pulled in out of whatever meetings that we had planned and things that we had decided um, to get directly involved? So that, that, yeah, that was basically the situation. I feel like there's two, two different ways to handle it. Not that they're mutually exclusive, but like there's building the instinct within your leaders to just know, which is really hard, you know, cause that's just gut feeling that you get from being in the business, or maybe that comes from being a business owner, or you create rules of engagement to say, Hey, if they're over this much in MRR or number of users do this, which is very black and white, but then that doesn't leave room for the exception. So it's like, this is the never ending game of, of knowing when to go the extra mile, knowing when to, to care a little more. How about you? I know you get a lot of things that bubble up to you of, should we do a refund for this guy? And it seems like every time it's this like discussion, um, what, how do you go about and how have you maybe made it to where it's less of a weekly conversation for you of when to give refunds, when to honor codes that are expired or prices that no longer, you know, how do you approach that? Well, poorly. So it still comes to me and it still is a case by case basis, which it, I don't have a good answer yet because in such a small industry where people talk, it, it's hard to get away from that. It really is hard. I want to create these rules, but then each time I think about creating a rule or a, a, stand, a, a standard, there's something where I'm like, oh, well, yeah, like he, he had cancer. Yes, of, co- of course, you know, or like something where you're like, oh, we, we did mess that up. So, cause you never want to be that company where it's like, someone's just touting the rule. And then the client's like, well, you guys were late by two weeks on this deliverable. Like, what am I supposed to do? So maybe some very fuzzy logic is the answer of like, in general, we do this in the end, be a human and like use your gut. So maybe it is a hybrid where Hmm. we start to lay some ground rules of, Hey, past six months, it better be some extenuating circumstances for someone to get a refund. Like, it better be something where you're like, I would feel like a bad human if I didn't do this or else the answer is no. And do you think you want to give that decision-making power to, you know, certain people under you, or do you think certain situations should always bubble up to you? I'd love for everyone in our company to have that instinct, you know, all the way down to the brand new CS person after they've been here six months to kind of have that, like, okay, I get the context of the person and then the broader industry and then our business. Is that a pipe dream? Yeah. Well, what about that fear though, that they just, cause you know, they're getting paid the same amount regardless that every time we give a refund or, uh, or credit that's coming directly out of our pockets. And so what about that fear that like, they're just giving away the farm because they, you know, it's like, well, it made them happy to give them a thousand dollars. Maybe there's a way to structure it to say, Hey, there's a pool, um, a max pool that the team can use. Anything unused gets redistributed to the team. Hmm. I don't know if that'd work. I was just off the top of my head, but maybe then they don't give any, they don't give anything away. <laughs> they, they just keep it all. So I, I have hope that there is a way to, to align incentives and balance it to where they do take ownership of it. Cause happiness scores, we can judge on that NPS type type scores. And I think that if you save an NPS score, if you get a 10 instead of an eight, maybe that hundred dollars is worth it. I don't know. And we've talked about in the past how we've given our leaders um, different comp structures where 
they have a base, but they have significant profit sharing. And so their, their incentives are directly aligned with ours where, hey, we want to maximize profit. So every time we give a refund, that's less profit. But is it net more profit in the long term? And by everybody thinking that way, hopefully they're thinking, okay, well, this happy customer will stay happy. They'll probably keep telling people, yeah, Spectors, they're stand-up people. Um, in addition to the equity that a lot of our senior team members have, where they feel like, hey, everything that we do leads up to this potential eventual exit that we can all do really well at. And so hopefully by aligning incentives, the decision-making just comes. And that's where... Um, it's hard to do that for everybody on the team. You know, you're not going to hire a brand new person on client success and say like, yeah, you have equity and profit sharing, but our leadership team hopefully can make these decisions for, for us in the near future where we have hundred percent confidence they're making the right decision. Yeah. I like the idea maybe of team specific, um, kind of incentive plans or bonus plans where, uh, cause every, every team's different. So, um, speaking of bonuses, we, we ended the year, um, again, like we talked about, felt great about overall numbers at times, didn't feel so great about it. Growth, you know, tailed off a little towards the end of the year, but, um, still had a great year all around and still wanted to reward our team for executing and showing up every day. And so we did a, basically a profit sharing distribution across the whole team based on tenure. And, um, and it was well-received. It was, I, it was, I think 175 K yeah, 175k. Yeah, I want to say like 100k of it was kind of equally distributed to people if they were, you know, just based on what percentage of the year they were here. And so if they were here the whole year, it was like a what was it? Maybe five grand or so. And then if a five k check, yeah. If they were half the year, it was like 25k or 2.5k. Um, and then the rest, 75k, was distributed based on performance. So team leaders got to decide, hey, who on my team's kicking ass? Grand here, grand there, and then our leaders got, you know, several grand each of bonuses. And so, how did that feel for you to be to to, to do this? Very grounding and humbling because, you know, when you've been in a profitable bootstrap business over the years, you know, the, the rewards accumulate and it's nice. And you and I have gotten to a level in life that I think a lot of people aspire to get to. And, and that feels great. And you never want to become numb to what the value of a thousand dollars is to someone or $5,000 for Christmas. And so to do that and see their reactions, um, it's, it was powerful. It, it showed you put, we put our money where our mouth is. And I think that's what everyone said. They said, it's easy to say you're going to share, but I don't think it's ever been clear of this could have been in their pockets or ours and they chose ours. Yeah. Plain and simple. How about you? Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. You know, and we've both, we've been on most of the runs of the socioeconomic spectrum, you and I, right? Like I've, I've had times where I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay rent the next month. I've had some, you know, very, and granted, way tons of people had it way harder than us we had a great upbringing we had an education so we've never been like in total poverty but i i know what it means when i know how it feels when a thousand dollars feels like a lot i think we've had to live off fifty dollars a month for groceries basically like i oh, i remember vividly you know budget and sticking to it for like a year or two years 100 percent. yeah yeah i remember when i knew like yeah i can't go out. I, when I, if I go out with friends, I'm ordering water and because I just had no money. And so I totally get that. Like, Hey, a few grand, three, five, 10 grand at Christmas. 
that is a lot. And um, like you said, I, I never want to get numb to that. Obviously, we've succeeded at creating a good SaaS business that, yeah, you're right, has made us what most people would consider rich. So it's great to be able to say, yeah, we're going to enjoy the, the rewards that come from all the hard work, the 100-hour weeks that we put in, the immense risk that we took when we said, instead of working, we're going to spend a few years building something before we ever get any, any payback. Um, and so I, I, I feel like very good with the kind of money we're paying ourselves. And I know that, man, our team is kicking ass and they're doing a lot to can continue advancing what we've started. They're doing um, great work and to reward them for it feels really good. And that, that meeting where we did it and seeing everybody's faces, that, that's such a cool feeling. Um, and it feels very like in line with what motivates me in life right now. Um, I think we've talked about how I, I, I feel generally good, like boxes are checked in terms of where I want to be in life. I don't have the financial stress that I used to. And so now what's our goals? What do we, what are we doing here? And a lot of it is, Hey, let's give these folks that are leaders in our company that are awesome contributors in our company, the ability to, to get ahead, to say, wow, I worked for this awesome company. And after a few years, that was like the best possible way that I could have spent those few years. I put myself into it. I engaged, I worked hard and the rewards came back to me. And now I have a ton more options going forward in life because of that experience. That to me, is that's what drives me right now is, is affecting the lives of the people that have trusted us with leadership. 100%. And the way, the way it was delivered is important because I know with like ConvertKit, they deliver their checks like at a team retreat. And it's like in an envelope and then there's words that come with it. And so to any leaders that just want to just like, you know, go into gusto and ship the funds, it's like, it's got to come with a message, I think. And it's got to be delivered truly in the spirit that you want it to be of like, this is why, not just because you're here. Um, <laughs> because I've been at companies where the minute, you know, the profit sharing check, the 200 bucks just kind of shows up and you get a generic email from like the CEO. It doesn't matter, right? It, it could have right. been $2,000 and I still would have felt a little empty about it, but got to be delivered in that way. Um, so speaking of that, I think that's a good segue into, into talking numbers with our leadership team, um, giving people opportunities. I, I have pretty strong feelings about of what you just said of like, we're at the point where we're a coach putting people in the game, but we can't play the game for them. They have to practice, they have to prepare and they have to take the opportunity. But like, I, we want to put as many people in the game as possible at this point. Right. Yeah. Tell, dive more into your feelings around that. I want to hear more. There's so little opportunities in young adult life. I feel where you truly get the opportunity to, to be in the, I'm going down a bad sports metaphor here, but like the opportunity to be in the game for an unlimited amount of time with almost complete freedom to be kind of an artist or to kind of do, to work hard and to play hard, maybe take yourself out of the game every once in a while, but like you get an opportunity as opposed to being in a game and a coach being like, Nope, this is the exact play you're doing. Do it every time. I don't care. And you and I've worked companies where you're just sitting there running the same play over and over and you check out and you stop caring. So I, I really want everyone so badly to embrace that and kind of know that that's not the norm. Most people do ones that haven't had those jobs that suck, you know, need to learn that, but 
man, the, I would have loved, I would have killed to work at a startup when I was 23 and someone say, Hey, you have all this time and energy and, and zest for life. You want to apply it and become a millionaire? Fuck. Yeah, I do. Like I, every day I would have shown up every day and worked however many hours needed because I was at that phase of life. So I love that we can give that opportunity that nobody on our leadership team is projecting their phase of life on other people. Cause we all don't have to be the same way. And I think that's, that's hard. I, I think that's an underrated thing. That's like not talked about is founders or executives. They might have 10 kids and want a certain life. That doesn't mean the 23 year old that wants to like make 80 grand a year, they're going to be very different. So oh, yeah. just opportunity, man. And like, it, it's hard to climb the ladder. Everyone knows that. Yeah. I love recruiting right now because I feel like we're in that perfect sweet spot. We're not, we don't, being bootstrapped, we don't have timetables and investors that are breathing down our necks. And, you know, we're not just going to, a friend of mine, their SaaS, just like on Christmas, they got news that like, hey, no more funding. We're taking back that money that we lent you and you're done. Pack up your bags next month. And I thought they had a very strong business and they had plans for years out. And that's the power that having investment can have is you, you're not in total control. You and I are in total control. We have profits. We can choose how we deploy them. So we have security that, hey, we're, we're good. As long as we don't fuck up, we're going to keep doing the things that we're doing. And, and then we have unlimited upside still because there's a ton of ideas we're pursuing. There's a ton of ways that we can turn this from a seven, $8 million business into a hundred million dollar a year business. And that that's so exciting. And so how do we convey that energy and enthusiasm to our leaders and make sure that they're in that spot in life, that they're ready for that challenge. Um, I know when I was 25, I did not, I wasn't looking for that. I, I worked at some startups and I didn't buy in. I didn't drink the Kool-Aid because I was like, dude, I'm trying to surf and play volleyball and date a lot. That, those are my priorities right now. And I'm, this is to pay the bills. Might have been the wrong startup. If you're at the right startup where they were like, hey, look at these stock, yeah. look at these Google stock options <laughs> over here. <laughs> That's true, man. That's true. hundred percent. Cause yeah, obviously, um, you know, the company I worked at, they, they didn't get their next round of funding. We all went home. <laughs> so, you know, maybe the right startup could have persuaded me. Um, and so it's that mix. It's that negotiation of saying, wow, <laughs> opportunities like this don't come along often. How do we convey that in a genuine, authentic manner? We're not just cheerleaders saying, oh, we're going to take over the world. I think that we're very grounded and realistic in what we can and can't do. And then also saying, hey, we respect where different people are at. And some people are not in a place where they're going to be able to totally engage. And, you know, and we, we've had to make some uh, cuts from the team because people just weren't at that phase. And so hopefully we find the right people. We find the people that are ready to work hard and grow their career in a way that very few places um, can, can equal. I have a question for you. Do you feel, how do you feel about when you're painting a picture for someone? Cause everyone, you know, is thinking about themselves rightfully. So, right. Everyone's selfish in that way. And that's good. Do you feel buy-in can sometimes not happen because their future is not painted specific, or do you think it should stay vague because you don't want to overpromise something to someone and, and put a, a number in their head of 250k or you know right. percentage equity, but then it's not real when it's not like concrete? Like, how do you reconcile those two? I always have trouble with this. What a hard thing, because yeah, you you want, I mean, for, granted the 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 
assumption that we need to align our, our, our agenda and their agenda? Absolutely. I think too often people just are like, oh, well, I need a job and you have a job and that's the end of it. As opposed to, no, where do you want to be? What are your financial goals? What are your life goals? What do you want your job to feel like? What do you want your tasks to be? Let's see if this aligns with what we view as the next few years of opportunities within our company. Because if those aren't aligned, I, you're going to get subpar performers. That to me is like essential to constantly have these talks, not just when you hire somebody, but like every three months saying, hey, do you still want to move into leadership? Do you still want to manage a big team? Do you still want, you know, is this lifestyle and number that we're shooting for still what you want or has your quality of life needs grown or whatever? Constantly having those conversations. And then, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to think because there's times where we've made it very concrete and then people fixate on a number and then they're like, well, why aren't we there yet? It's been three months. It's like, well, that was like a very long-term projection and these things that we said need to happen, maybe we should have been more concrete about of like, yes, if we get to right. 10,000 customers, then that enables this as opposed to, well, work hard and we'll get to, we'll get to your numbers. And so I think a lot of it is having us having more clarity on what exactly we can do what exactly we're willing to, to promise and what we're not. And then saying, how do we get there? What might get in the way? What might change in the process? And so I really like the profit sharing model that we've come up with with some, some of our employees because then it's, it's not like they write their own paycheck because we still can say, oh, well, we decided to spend 100K on a whatever. But there's a lot more control there of saying, hey, when the company does well, you do well. And that's a big component of your compensation. Um, I don't know. How about on your side of the house? How much are you painting that? I think with sales, there's a, there's more you need on target earnings. But yeah, I don't know. What's your what's your take? Yeah, sales is easy. Um, there's we have, we actually have a precedent set by you know by our our best salesperson. So that that sets the goal. That the goalpost is there. That's that's easy. Marketing, website builders, CS people, a lot harder. So in the absence of profit sharing, it, you know, I've talked in ranges, I've talked in ballparks sometimes, um, you know, by not fixating on a number and saying like, Oh, you want to get to 60. Great. Like, this is exactly what you do because circumstances could change. They could, they could think they were doing it and, and your opinion of it is different or their manager's opinion is different. So yeah, I try to talk directionally more and more as opposed to specifics. Um, and if they want to get more specific, they, we can go there, but it, I think it should be pushed by them because I don't know. I don't want to assume a specific goal or number. And then they're just like nodding like, yeah, you're my boss. Sure. Right. 60 sounds great. <laughs> I want them to really push that, but let them know the doors open in case they want to have that very direct, specific conversation. Most people don't. The couple that do, they've done well because things are very crystal clear. So yeah, I wish everyone would have that, you know, not everyone's gonna have that clear vision for themselves. Well, and, and I think the most elevated thinkers recognize that the more money they're getting paid personally, the less potential there is to reinvest and grow the company. And so the leaders that have significant equity and profit sharing, they're not always clamoring for raises. True. They're saying, let's grow this thing to maximize that, you know, that 1% of the eventual outcome. I want that 1% to be a couple million bucks in a few years. So let's 
you know, you don't have to keep paying me more and more. And some, there's some people where we're just like, we're giving them raises because we're like, you're, you're getting paid too little for what you're doing. And so here's a little bit more money just to recognize it um, without them asking, because we just feel like this, this is what's fair and equitable. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's so nuanced. It's different for each person and what their life situation is. And it, if you don't talk about it, you're shooting in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's shift to talking about talking about it with, with the leadership team, like talking company revenue numbers. We, we kind of broke that barrier or kind of punched through that. Um, how did that feel? And how does it feel now? Man, it, I like, I think maybe because my background in counseling and, and, and even before counseling, just who I was, was just like, I put it all out there. I like being genuine, authentic. I don't like, um, those weird feelings of when something's unsaid, but nobody thinks you can like talk, you know, I, I really like what, the more authentic and open we can be and the more transparent we can be. I think that's like a, it takes emotional maturity on both sides because I know that some people will resent what the profits are. Some people will be like, that's awesome. Congrats. How do I get a little bit more of a piece of that? And that's what leads to those better conversations of like, all right, well, let's talk about how you can drive real value for the business. The more you contribute to the business, the more you should be getting the, the profits from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I lost my, my mental track there. <laughs> you know, because public companies, their numbers are public. So it's like anyone can go find them. And so to me, the private companies and bootstrappers, the fear price stems from not wanting future hard conversations. Because you're signing up for a few, you know, if your team, say you have a team of five, you're, you're signing up for four difficult conversations by saying, Hey, we made a million dollars last year, guys. And yeah, you're still making 40 K and like, you're, you may be wondering why, and like, let's talk about it. And I think it's easier just to avoid those, but it's not long, yeah. like long-term we're seeing the benefits of that transparency. Um, Cause most, most people have a hard time facing their own supply and demand dynamics in the marketplace, their skills, what they fetch. And that's a hard conversation to, to tell someone, to bring to someone. That so is. That so is. Yeah. We've had a few hard conversations like that where people are like, well, I'm working so hard at, you know, answering chats. And it's like, yeah, I get it. And that's why you're getting paid on the high end of that specific range, but you're not going to make as much as an engineer that spent 15 years learning this very complex and um, difficult task that, you know, it's just different supply and demand economics. There's less potential engineers and there's way more potential support people. Right. Um, so yeah, th- those are hard conversations, but then I think very helpful for some people. It, it, the reason they're hard is because then it makes people reflect on all their past choices and wonder if they should have done something different back in high school and college and like taken different kinds of jobs or gone back to school for certain things. And that, those are tough things that only emotionally mature people can do because most people I think bury their head in the sand and and don't face up to like regrets it's not human nature the brain's not wired to to dwell on regrets for the most part right and then you hope it evolves into hey how do I become the best possible version of myself at this given time at this company and I think that's us as leaders it's our job to kind of push that conversation and say hey you're at where you're at but here's things you can do to improve and get better and yeah. maximize the position you're in because you, you're not going to become an engineer overnight. You're not going to become a salesperson. That's fine. Yeah. Another thing that bears uh, talking about is like the, the divorcing the concepts of like 
working a job and like ownership, you know, if somebody invested in us early on and we're like, Hey, here's just like 300 K for you guys to live for your first couple of years without getting paid. And, um, and you build me a product and then you're getting paid, you know, whatever salary. And then they own the company. That's, you know, we wouldn't necessarily expect like a chunk of ownership there because you and I bootstrapped this. So we're not only the owners, but we're also like working in the company and our, we've, I think, started paying, paying ourselves like less and less as executive comp because we're not maybe working the same amount of hours that we used to, but we're still the owners. But then we're also able to allocate ownership to team members. And so when is that fair? When is that right? And what a, these are like hard questions that there's no set rules for. There's nothing to stop us from saying, hey, 50% of the company is the teams and now let's all work really hard. And the question for us as owners is, is that going to get better results than you know, 10% of the company belongs to the employees, um, but they get really healthy salaries. We're constantly playing these like games of, of what elicits the most inspiration and motivation um, with very unknown futures. Yeah, and, I, and that's a great way to put it because the equity plus profit sharing plus market or better rate salaries covers three phases of the future, the now, the intermediate term and the long-term. And, I think it's hard to, sometimes we, we shy away from talking about an eventual exit or who can be acquirers, but I, the conversation probably needs to be had with people that have equity. So they don't just give up on it and think like, oh yeah, that'll be like in 20 years when I'm old. It's like, no, it can happen sooner than you think. And it's something we're kind of keeping one eye on at all times of what the landscape looks like, because The, in, the incentive to grow the company makes those decisions easier day in and day out when they know maybe what that equity is about worth. That's why at traditional startups, it's kind of easy because the valuation is always kind of known. It's talked about plenty of people have like their point, you know, one, eight point, point one percent. Whereas when you're private and bootstrapped, the valuation, it's hard to, to nail down. So we have to like, we estimate at times for people to make it real. Yeah, that, that's such important. <clears throat> Because yeah, when you raise, you raise at X million dollars valuation, then everybody knows exactly what they're worth. And you just hope that number keeps going up with each round. Um, for us, we try to keep track, but it, you know, you don't, you know, there's not great stats out there of what multiples are bootstrap SaaS companies selling at. And how does that compare to us? Like the company that's not making profits versus us that has a very healthy profit margin. How does that factor into multiples? Um, and I think you know, this is a great segue into the next topic of like talking to uh, potential acquirers. Like you and I are also starting to think, all right, you know, when, what is that time frame for us? We're evaluating kind of our own um, goals in life and saying, all right, not only for, to keep our team members apprised of how much we're worth here and what their stock actually means, but also for us to start thinking about what an exit could look like we start to entertain some of these conversations around, all right, if somebody could buy us, what would they offer? Where do we fall in? And then, wow, what big conversations you and I should have of, is this time? Do we give it another year or two? Do we play out some of these strategies to see if that can dramatically impact the, the multiple? Um, market timing, is this like a peak or will it keep going up? Or the, these are, again, more hard questions. Um, how are you thinking about all of this? I was just going to ask you that. Um, 
you know, it's such a whirlwind of information that you don't have complete information on any of it. And so we, that's why we've always every three, six, nine months spoken to a VC or an investment firm or a potential acquirer to kind of get an update on how they're thinking. And, and, and you're getting better. You're getting great at asking them questions as opposed to them just asking us about the business. So it's great that we're learning a little bit through you probing. Um, and so this also ties back to our belief in ourselves and the team. We talked about this yesterday, you and I, after we talked to an investor, potential investor of our decisions, aren't just, Hey, do we take money now or wait to take money later? Part of it is, do we have a team that we believe in that's still maximizing this investment and risk that we have on the table? Cause it still is a lot of risk. Like we've paid ourselves well over the years, but like, it's still 90 plus percent risk on the table is how I view it. Of like, if you're playing poker, it's like 90% of our chips are still sitting out there. <laughs> yeah. So the belief in them is what I'm taking a temperature on week in and week out. And then the other side of that equation for me is like what you and I want to be doing in life. Um, are there other things we want to do? We don't want to do this forever. And that's okay. You know, just like home inspectors say, I don't want to be a home inspector forever. I want to like, run the company or sell it or do whatever. So, you know, I'm hitting my quarter or midlife crisis of like, what am I interested in? What excites me? Um, and part of that is happening at Spectora. Part of it is unknown because I don't know the answer outside of Spectora. That's all I've been for six years. Yeah. So how did it feel for you hearing the other day from, from a, an investment firm that they don't see companies like ours when he was just like, guys, congrats. Like this, you don't happen every day. Right. Yeah. What a fascinating thing. Cause of course, you know, we listen to, to podcasts like all in or my first million. And we hear guys like David Sachs and Rob Walling talking about seeing multiples up to like 50 X and you're like, that sounds stupid. There's no fucking Crazy. way that's going to happen. And then we talk to companies that are investing in small bootstrap businesses, like of our size. And they're like, oh yeah, we're seeing, you know, maybe teens, high teens, multiples. Um, and you're like, oh, wow. Well, that's way more than I potentially was anticipating. And then, you know, we're, we're just like, oh yeah, what do you see in terms of profit margins? And them telling us your profit margin is phenomenal. Like this is the only company that he's seen like this where we're growing at the rate we are and we're profitable. Usually you trade one for the other. And that's a testament to like the product led growth and whatever, who knows what all the secret sauce is that we've been doing. We, I don't think we even know. We're just doing what we think is right. And who knows how much of it was just picking the great industry at the right time. Right. Who knows how much of it is like you and I's framework for decision-making and personalities and all that. But um, yeah, hearing that, it was like this immense feeling of pride of just like, man, when you're in the fishbowl and you're just swimming as hard as you can, you have no idea how you compare to other fishbowls. This metaphor is getting dumb. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but hearing it from somebody that sees these sees companies day in, day out, sees the numbers, um, that's immensely validating to what we're doing. Because I mean, you and I, we still feel like very normal people that get up and do a normal job every day and we just see numbers but it's all just numbers on paper and yeah we've updated our quality of life a little bit but it's you know i don't feel like this rich guy flying around on jets to my yacht at all i don't have a lambo yet no i still drive an old subaru forester you know and i <laughs> it's like we're, we're still pretty um simple dudes and yet to hear like wow we've built something that might be 
a once, you know, one out of every hundred thousand, one out of every million companies. Um, that's awesome. That's, that's so cool. And we should feel that's so proud. Um, and so, yeah, it comes back to that question of, do we keep doing this? Because we're doing some, a lot of things, right? Have we gotten lucky and we should cash out when we can? Are we, are we confident that our leaders can take this next step? Because we're beyond the point where you and I can just keep working harder to accomplish the next level. Now it's like, how do we coordinate dozens of people to work towards the next level? And if we believe that can happen, well, shit, we're sitting on an amazing um, equity here. But on the other hand, you know, there's people that are like, well, once you've won the game, why, why keep playing? Right. Could we just be like, well, good, we're, we're safe. We've cashed out some chips. We can still take big risks. Maybe you can cash out half the chips and then take big risks with the other half and have somebody else's money also on the line to, to help out. And so these are the questions that we're asking ourselves. Uh, I had a long discussion with my wife yesterday and we're just like asking each other rhetorical questions of what if, what if, and um, it's an interesting spot to be. Did any wisdom come out of that? What are you, do you have a, a skew or a lean that coming out of that? No, just more questions. More questions. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I, I was telling her on, on the weekends, I enjoy really play. I enjoy playing with the kids. I enjoy having some downtime. But man, I look forward to Mondays. I love getting back into the desk chair and saying, what's going to come up today? How are we going to apply our, our mentality, our decision-making process? How do we continue to exert like our, our personality and our philosophy and our morality onto this, you know, not only our team, but this industry that we're impacting significantly. What a cool thing to get to do every day. And um, a part of me is like, if I didn't have that, I don't know if I'd be, I, I really enjoy that. And I'm very cognizant of the ongoing risk that having such a concentrated position, most of our net worth is Spectora. And so that's an ongoing risk. And when you think about macroeconomics, it's, it's hard to know. Nobody knows the future. So, um, no, I just have more questions and it's time, you know, it's stuff that I think, I think within our families, we'll talk about you and I will probably just take a day to go to the mountains and talk about stuff. It's a lot to process and it's happening so fast. I don't think our brains can keep up because, uh, it wasn't that long ago that we had, you know, we were paying ourselves nothing. And 2,500 a month when we had 200 customers, I think we bumped up to 2,500 a month and we yeah. were like, all right, this is a, we're above the poverty line, like salary wise. Your average worker in the last four years has gotten a couple salary bumps and might've moved one job up. And meanwhile, we've gone from, <laughs> you know, that to like running a multi-million dollar company. So there's so much that like, I think we haven't processed that we need to just keep talking about and, and kind of let sink in because it's hard to make big decisions when you're you're still on the on the treadmill you know i often think about the average entrepreneur the average bootstrapper that usually the mentality is not pay yourself well when you're profitable and so this decision would be a hundred times harder if if we had not taken even a tiny you know 10 percent of the chips off the table and i think most entrepreneurs probably listening are going to be in those positions where it's all or nothing. And that is a lot of pressure that I don't envy that position. Whereas we're not going to be scrambling to, to put our resumes out there. If it all went to shit tomorrow, it wouldn't feel great because it'd be a massive opportunity squandered, but 
we've also rewarded ourselves. And I, I encourage all like at least people in the bootstrap position, don't pay yourself nothing. That doesn't feel good to me. I, I, that's blanket advice. And I know blanket advice is dumb, but like you got to pay yourself because then you feel good day to day. You feel good showing up on Monday. You're not this, this gruntled, like, oh, hope we sell someday. Yeah. You can't be on the deferred happiness plan, right? You got to <laughs> first, you got to, and I get it. There was tough times where we were like, do we hire or do we keep working stupid long hours? And, um, and we did a mix of both. I think we, you know, there's times where we started paying ourselves more where we felt like, wow, there's more money than I've ever made in yeah. my life. And, um, yeah, and then there's times where we're like, let's, let's not give ourselves bumps. Let's hire and get help and have a little bit more sanity in our lives. So yeah, I, I firmly believe though, that you got to pay yourself first. You got to feel like you're, you're not just hoping and betting everything on that long-term outcome. Cause that's, it's too risky. It's too scary day to day. You make decisions that, that might be suspect. So, um, all right, take us out, man. Hey, good place to wrap. Um, everybody listening if you like this kind of stuff keep let us let us know send us emails if there's topics that you want us to drill into um because we we really do just pick a topic throughout the week and run with it so hey let us know we want to hear from y'all um but thank you and uh we will talk to you next week because we're getting back on the wagon and doing this consistently so thanks everybody thanks see y'all